Winchester here with Sati Argabright, and this is Reading Women, a podcast inviting you to reclaim the bookshelf and read the world. Today, we're talking about our discussion picks for our theme of Black Joy, and we're also hearing from guests about their recommendations for this theme. You can find a complete transcript of this episode on our website, readingwomenpodcast.com, and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Well, we are back for our discussion picks. I'm very excited to talk about these books today with you, Sachi. Yes, I'm super excited. I think it's going to be great. So we have two wonderful books to tell you about, as well as continuing to hear from guests about their book recommendations. Uh, But before that, we have our usual updates. Mm -hmm. So while you mentioned last time, we have our Patreon, uh, but we also have the Reading Women store. And there you can get some merch that we're actually retiring once it's all gone. That's it. So you can grab your totes or your pins uh, before they disappear. And we have some new merch planned for later this year. But you'll definitely want to go check that out. Yes, I love the merch, obviously biased, um, but <laughs> I feel like um, that it's a really great way to support the podcast, but also to have, you know, a cool, physical, tangible thing in your home um, about hopefully one of your favorite podcasts, right? <laughs> yes. And when I ordered the totes, I went to a local business and I went and actually viewed all of the totes. And so I picked one that has the little feet at the bottom. So when you go to the library or bookstore or wherever, your tote will stand up for you. Yes. Every book lover's dream, right? Yes. And I specifically (laughs) bought the big one so that you could go to the library and, uh, you know, take away all the books. That's the one I take to the library. I mm-hmm. use it for packages when I ship things out. It is amazing. And I'm so happy that it all worked out and I went with the big tote because I'm in love. Yeah. Yeah. Like when people <laughs> say like, check out my book haul, like it's a literal, like a book haul. You can haul a lot of books in uh, that tote bag because it's very spacious. Yes. And Jacqueline, who is a tote connoisseur and is obsessed <laughs> with all totes, gave her stamp of approval, which I feel is like... The thing gold that you star. Need. Yes. Yes. Gold star of approval. <laughs> and we'll be back with more from this episode of Reading Women after a word from our sponsor. The sponsor of this episode is the Literati Kids subscription box. Literati Kids is a try before you buy subscription book club. Each month, Literati delivers five vibrantly illustrated children's books, bringing the immersive magic of reading right to your home. Each book bundle is thoughtfully tailored by educated experts with five stories meant to spark new interests and nurture a healthy curiosity. No more sorting through hundreds of titles trying to guess what your child will cherish. Literati sends you the best in children's literature, choose to purchase the ones they love, and send the rest back for free. From art and adventure to tales of compassion, each literati box follows a new enriching theme with personalized extras like stickers, surprises, and special artwork. Every box is a fun and fresh adventure. And when they mention that they have personalized stickers, they are not kidding. When I opened up my literati subscription box, I found personalized stickers for Dylan, 
my corgi. And I just thought that was the most fabulous thing that I had ever seen. So you can head over to literati.com slash reading women for 25% off your first two orders. Select your children's book club and start them on a literary journey like no other. Literati.com slash reading women is the only place to find 25% off your first two orders of this one of a kind book subscription, the most joyful way to foster a lifelong love of learning. That's literati.com slash reading women. All right, so that's it for housekeeping things. So now it's time for our first guest spot. Our first guest today is Evelyn Bradley, uh, who is a very good friend of mine. She and her wife, Vanessa, hosted a queer book club uh, that I attended until they moved to Prince Edward Island in Canada. And I love them both so much. So Evelyn is here today to give a book recommendation. And you should also definitely check out her Instagram account, Gay From Away, which she runs with Vanessa. And they just have all sorts of food recommendations, book recommendations, all sorts of like fun Canadian life situation stuff. Very exciting. I love their account. So definitely check it out. Um, but without further ado, here is Evelyn. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me here today. My name is uh, Evelyn Bradley. I live in Prince Edward Island, Canada. It's a glorious place. Um, and you can find me on Instagram at uh, Gay From Away. It's my wife and I's uh, Instagram, and we, we share our experiences here in PEI. Um, the book I'm going to talk about today is There Are More Beautiful Things Than Beyonce. It's by Morgan Parker. Um, the book is a poetry collection that covers topics of beauty and sex and body, um, all as it relates to black women, um, specifically black women in America. It deals with family dynamics and relationships, and it's really um, an amazing account of what it means to be black and female and just living your life and thriving. So the reason why I chose this book today uh, to talk about is because I feel like it does a really great job kind of encapsulating and creating this image for people of what it means to be a black woman as a whole person. I think it does a really beautiful job at kind of outlining for people um, the complexity that is black women. I think that the title itself kind of is a bit jarring for some because when they think of black women in America, Beyonce is something uh, of a touchstone for a lot of people in a lot of different countries. But I think that she does a beautiful job kind of depicting what it means to be black and what it means to be female in a way that is very, very unique in my opinion. So from the books that I've read, the things that I've seen, this book really does a good job for me of really embodying those things. Some of my favorite poems in the book, uh, I'll talk about just briefly two. One is entitled Afro, and it's beautifully done um, because a lot of people, when they think about black hair, especially uh, recently with a lot of the social media and, and kind of internet hype around black hair uh, and the politics of black hair, uh, Parker does a great job at describing hair 
from the perspective of it being alive and it being its own living, breathing entity, as opposed to something that is for others. She she describes it in a way that puts it about the person, about about me, or about my hair, right? As opposed to it being something of someone else gawking at my hair or looking at it. So the point of view of of the poem is from this place of this is me, this is who I am, this is here, good, bad, or ugly, this is what it is, as opposed to a judgment call or something like that 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 is particularly put upon those kinds of concepts. So the the second poem that I, I really love is a, is called um, We Do Not Know When uh, We Were Opened or the Origin of the Universe. And it's about just exploring Black femininity uh, from a perspective of it being for the woman who's sitting in it. So this idea of, you know, not quite knowing when it became, in air quotes, popular uh, to be a black woman or when that those tropes became something that people like to usurp and then use as a caricature. But she describes it as a, as a moment of awakening for herself. This is just who I am. I just happen to walk into a room and look this way. I happen to command this kind of respect and understanding. Um, and she starts from a place of explaining this lineage of, 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 of her mother or a mother type figure or older women type figures. And then it kind of trickles down into this understanding of who she is specifically. And I just love how that is described. Yeah. I think the book does a really, for me personally, it gives me a really deep sense of nostalgia, the music references of the first poem in the of, of the collection and then throughout just different things that are unique to the African-American experience is so spot on. I find that she does a really good job at just hitting the mark with what it means to be in these communities and to experience these things and not the Hollywood perspective of, you know, the you know, less affluent African-American ideal or the Tyler Perry kind of caricature trope of what it means to be in a black community. But she describes these encounters that I can just remember as a child. Like I, I read these poems and I think back to when I was in Georgia or when I was in South Carolina and I can just feel it in the writing. So for me, this book is the epitome of black joy and not because it talks about all of the pretty things that are associated with being black. It doesn't glorify, you know, the black female experience. But what it does do is it creates a sense of pride and it creates a sense of just overwhelming like comfort for me as a black woman. So the reason why this to me embodies that theme of black joy is because when I read it, even the hard parts, I can't help but smile because I connect so deeply with this experience of being, you know, this, this complex entity, this complex individual of happy and sad and body and mind and spirit all in one. Um, I really just, Every time I read it, it, it puts a smile on my face because I, I can see how this kind of writing is so indicative of true experiences that aren't just rooted in all of the sad things that happen to African-Americans, you know, in the history of ever. But this, this kind of joyous, kind of playful, flirty kind of writing that really does, you know, embody that real life experience of what it means to be a black woman in America. 
Um, the title of the book is There Are More Beautiful Things Than Beyonce, and it's written by Morgan Parker. Thanks again for uh, having me today. I really appreciate this opportunity. Um, my name is Evelyn Bradley. You can find me on Instagram at Gay From Away. Uh, it highlights life here in uh, Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island, Canada. And uh, we are also uh, highlighting the theme of Black Joy on Gay From Away. So follow us there so you can see all of the different uh, and exciting things happening here in PEI uh, with myself as well as my wife. And of course, all of the relevant links will be in the show notes. And Sachi, you have our first discussion pick. I do. So our first discussion pick, as you might have heard on our last episode, is You Should See Me in a Crown by Leah Johnson. And this is out from Scholastic Press, and the audiobook is read by Alaska Jackson. I highly recommend the audiobook. I um, listened to this mostly in audio. I also had the print that I go back and forth. But um, I listened to this a lot um, as I was, like, cooking and uh, baking things uh, <laughs> over the, uh, the break. Uh, and so, um, highly recommend the audio as well. Um, as we highlighted in our last episode, just a high level, um, overview of the plot in case you missed our last episode. This is a recent YA release that is centered around a black high schooler named Liz Lighty, and she lives in a town obsessed with prom and she finds herself jumping, jumping into the race herself so she can use the prize money to get into the college of her dreams. The first thing that I really wanted to highlight about this book is Liz Lighty, you know, as the main character. I just loved her energy and her personality. I feel like the book uh, does a really kind of interesting uh, job of making Liz not like the conventional YA protagonist, um, at least in my opinion. Uh, they don't shy away from her awkwardness. She talks about how she's kind of an outsider and how she can be awkward. And I think that plays into the underdog kind of story of her wanting to go for prom queen against all of these like prom royalty legacy um, students. And even though she's really different from her peers, uh, Leah Johnson does a great way to sh show and highlight and showcase is kind of what I'm looking for <laughs> uh, and really lean into the fact that she uses her differences and her kind of unique perspective throughout her prom queen campaign. I think it's really great to highlight because I feel like in high school, at least my experience was that if you're different, you need to blend in and you need to stick with the status quo and emulate the folks who, you know, are quote unquote popular or normal or whatever. And this book chucks that out the window and says, you know, Liz is different and she uses that to her advantage and it is celebrated in this book. And I, I just absolutely love that about um, this writing and this storyline. Kendra, did you kind of get that vibe when you're reading this book as well? Yeah, I really love the joyfulness of, of the book in particular. I really love the way that the book focuses on Lydie's experience and the way that all these different things that make up her life come together in the book. They don't feel, even though there's a lot of separate things, they all come together cohesively in her character, which is great. Yeah. And I think part of that too, you know, part of the different pieces and parts of this book um, is her relationship with Mac, um, her love interest. And I think that 
you know, sometimes the, when the focus of the book is, you know, your main character's character arc of coming out of their shell and all these things, like some of the side characters can, you know, they truly get kind of shoved to the side and they're not as integral to the book. But Mac was, I think, just as central to this story and and their queer relationship is front and center, um, which I thought was great, like not something that was just kind of secondary uh, to the storyline. And Mac teaches Liz a lot about herself too. Like I think some of the revelations are coming from Liz herself throughout the book. But a lot of it also comes from her relationship with Mac. Mac's a new girl from school. You know, she is completely unbiased to the way things are done in their little town. And she offers this great perspective that allows Liz to think a little differently and open her kind of eyes and mind to something something else and um, to kind of really accepting who she is, which I thought was really important. There were so many moments between them that they sometimes like when you're reading a YA kind of romance novel, there's a little bit of a stretch here and there, but all of it made sense. Like yeah. when Lighty screws up, she screws up. There is no magical fix. Like she Right. <laughs> she has to put in the work to, you know, fixing that if, you know, she wants to have healthy relationships with her friends and there's just so many different aspects to it that all fit together to make up who she is. And she, she's such a well-rounded, drawn character, which is really difficult, I think, to do in a YA book. But there's so much depth to her. And I think that's something that Leah Johnson uh, does so well. And it's going to be a strength moving forward for her books. Everything felt very realistic. Like, I think sometimes, and sometimes I think it's like, well, maybe it's because I'm now an adult and maybe I just don't quote unquote get it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But so that's part of it is like these YA books, you know, aren't necessarily written for us. They're written for young adults, right? So maybe some of it is me not understanding, but like, I felt like reading this, that everything, the way that things unravel and the way that her and her peers react to things and things like that, um, all felt very real and felt very thought out and felt relatable things that, you know, I could see happening if I was in high school or, or something like that. And I feel like that as an adult writer, writing about that experience, uh, it'd be really hard. Like I wouldn't know how to write anything about, um, you know, teens in high school. And so I feel like she's very in tuned with Liz and her character and the way that she moves and progresses. I felt like I felt so connected to and everything didn't feel kind of like, would that really happen? (laughs) I felt like it very, felt very well could have, uh, happened, uh, in real life. Yeah, definitely. And also sometimes when I read a book, um, a YA novel, the the main character is like super perfect. And while, you know, it's still very much an enjoyable book and you like it, but like they're just too perfect for a teenager. Like how do you process these really difficult (laughs) topics so well as a 16 year old? Yeah. You know, but this book was great because uh, Liz is not perfect. Mm -hmm. And she gets angry at other people for making assumptions about her, Mm -hmm. but she also makes assumptions about other people. Yes, she does. And learns that her perspectives were not correct in, and could have been incorrect for many years. Right? Yes. Yeah. And, And I think that's really well drawn because she is facing a lot of 
difficult things. You know, she, you know, she lost her mom at a young age. Her brother is also very ill. And, Mm -hmm. you know, she's a black girl in a high school in Indiana where that's Mm -hmm. (laughs) not exactly the most (laughs) diverse population. No. But she also makes assumptions about other people, about what they think and why they behave. And she has to stop and think like, oh, maybe these people didn't dislike me. Mm -hmm. They just didn't think I liked them. And that's just an important point for teenagers, I think. Yeah. She kind of realizes like, I really feel like I'm not understood by my peers, but then she comes to realize like maybe I'm not under understanding my peers either. It's a two way street. And so a lot of that gets uh, revealed by communication. And sometimes, you know, I've been there too. Like a lot of things in high school that seem like a big deal are mainly just things that get blown up because things are miscommunicated. And I think this is a way to show that if we just kind of, try to learn more about each other and talk through some of the things that may be a perceived kind of notion of how someone is versus, you know, how they actually are. And it's just a way of how they're coming off. Um, I think these, this book really highlights that in a cohesive storyline that I thought, you know, would, would be, would be great uh, for me to read, you know, back when I was a teenager, I probably could have learned a lot from, from Liz and her story. Yeah. Yeah. Like giving people a choice to accept you or not. If you, if you assume that they're not, so you never say anything to them, you're not giving them that choice and Mm -hmm. like learning that process of communication. Mm -hmm. So actively throughout the book was, was pretty great because I mean, that's something that Mac teaches her is like, that's what trust is. Yeah. Yes, definitely. So overall, you know, this story gave me all the warm and fuzzy feelings that I needed in 2020. And I gifted and recommended it to so many people because it's such a wonderful story. Um, And, you know, when we picked this as our theme of Black Joy, I immediately thought about this book because I feel like it is, you know, emulating that black joy. Like even the cover has just a beautiful photo of a black girl with a giant smile and a really amazing, um, Afro. And, uh, she just exudes happiness and that's who Liz is. And that is what this book, um, is really focused and servicing. So I think it is a perfect pick. Um, for this. And I'm so happy that we got to talk about it and highlight it because it is such an amazing book. That's our first discussion pick. You should see me in a crown by Leah Johnson. And that's out from Scholastic Press. And we'll be back with more from this episode of Reading Women after a word from our sponsor. The sponsor of this episode is Acorn TV. When the cold weather keeps us inside, one of my favorite ways to mentally escape is to curl up and get lost in a show. Usually that means Dylan and I are curled up on the couch watching our favorite TV series. And nothing feels more transportive than when I'm stuck indoors than watching brilliant TV from across the pond. I am a huge fan of that mood of especially mystery series from over in the UK. But that's why I love Acorn TV. Acorn TV is a streaming service that's rooted in British television. It has a rich catalog of exclusive award-winning series across genres including mysteries, dramas, comedies, and so much more. 
From production to performances, the series you'll find on Acorn TV are exceptional because they're so cleverly written, visually striking, and featured renowned actors like David Tennant and Tandy Newton. I love Acorn TV because of the aforementioned David Tennant, but also because of Vera. Vera is one of my favorite police procedurals featuring a woman protagonist, especially an older woman protagonist, and she has that unique take on the detective with a mysterious background who's jaded in a certain way for unknown reasons. So you must watch and continue through the seasons to see her background and understand why Vera is the way she is. It's amazing. I love her and I can watch all of her episodes over and over again on Acorn TV. So you can escape to Britain and beyond without leaving your seat. You can try Acorn TV free for 30 days by going to acorn.tv and use the promo code readingwomen. That's A-C-O-R-N dot TV code readingwomen to get your first 30 days for free. All right, so before we jump into our second discussion pick, it's time for a second guest spot. Our next guest is Marinda, who is the co-founder of Black Fuller Book Club, which focuses on writing by Black authors and Indigenous and First Nations authors from around the world. I really appreciate uh, this account. And Jacqueline, our, one of our co-hosts, was the first person to recommend this account to me. And we are huge fans of this account and what they do. So please definitely go check it out. But without further ado, here is Marinda's recommendation on the theme of Black Joy. Gina Gay, my name is Marinda Dutton. I am the co-founder of the Instagram handle Blackfella Book Club on Instagram, which is an Instagram page that celebrates and elevates the voices and stories of First Nations peoples in Australia. I am located on the Gold Coast in Queensland, Australia. The book that I have chosen on the theme of Black Joy is Homeland Calling, Words from a New Generation of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Voices and edited by Ellen Van Nieuwen. Uh, So Homeland Calling is a collection of poems authored by young black kids in Australia. The poems were created in collaboration with a number of small Aboriginal communities all around Australia through workshops in communities which were run by Desert P Media, which is an Indigenous media organisation. Homeland Calling is divided into parts. Country is my heartbeat, history is in my bloodline, flame in the struggle and pride in my people. And I think um, for me the way that these young kids have used poetry to find their voice and to tell their story is really inspiring. They cover up on some really big themes about the environment and place, about knowledge and survival, about mental health and well-being, and about family, community and belonging. And I think as humans, we have so much to learn from what young people are telling us is important. And this book is really so special to me. It's special to me on a number of fronts. Um, it's given a lot of space to young people who might not otherwise have a platform to share the things that are important to them with the world. And um, the investment that 
Desert Pea Media has done, um, given to Indigenous communities by spending time with them and running these workshops and then producing something uh, that the community has put time and effort into is really special. The, the poems, they really hit you in your heart space for kids from these remote communities to be connecting to things like environmental justice is really powerful and truthful. And one of the most joyful aspects of this book to me is the way that they've really used language in an honest way. And that's both the English language and Indigenous languages. And the way that the book stays true to our ways of talking as Blackfellas, there's a real honesty, integrity and joy that comes from that. And it really, it makes me smile, I think. So that's why I've chosen this book. So one of the other reasons why I really connect to this book, I think, is one of the communities that um, was part of the project is Will Kenya, which is my dad's uh, country. So a lot, a lot of the kids who participated in the project are my relations. And the very first poem in the book is called Heartbeat, and it was written by the Will Kenya Barkindji soldiers. And right from the outset, they really get to the heart of uh, what is going on in that place right now. They connect to language and environmental issues that are going on there. And it, it starts, we belong to where the barker flow, where the barker low, no matter which country I roam, my heartbeat never far from home. So it really speaks to the connection of Barkindji people to the river and the river systems out in Will Kenya and to the fact that um, during drought times that that the heart of the people there uh, really suffers. And I think that's a powerful message, especially when you hear it from young people. I think when, when I reflect on Black Joy, I really had to... I really had to think about it and I really had to think about which stories reflect that, reflect that theme. And Homeland Calling for me really reflects black, what black joy is in that it is a celebration of, of our resilience as black communities despite the hardship and oppression that we have suffered through. And it is done in a really joyful respectful way and reflects our ways of doing things it's not done in in a way that is disrespectful to the stories that it that it puts on paper and when things are done in a community way that is that is a joyful thing so I'm Marinda Dutton the co-founder of Blackfella Book Club and my recommendation on the theme of Black Joy is Homeland Calling, Words from a gen New Generation of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Voices, edited by Ellen Van Niven and published by Hardy Grant. Um, Kendra, tell us about your discussion pick. Yes. So my discussion pick is Take a Hint, Danny Brown by Talia Hibbert. And I really 
love this series of the Brown Sisters because of what Talia Hibbert tackles in each book and the wide range of perspectives that she kind of brings together in each of the novels. So this is the second one in the series, but as with most romance novel series, you can start anywhere, really. Yeah. And so this one I wanted to pick because it looks at a bisexual a black woman who's in academia, like doing the thing, and she just decides to quit on love and just have sex, basically. And so she mm-hmm. is looking for a a buddy. Still can't say certain <laughs> words on this, I guess. Friends with benefits. Yes. <laughs> we can go with that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, she decides that, but then she has her friend named Zaf and he is a security guard at her building and she finds him reading romance novels and he's very much a kind soul and he uh, experiences a lot of anxiety. He had a family death several years before the book starts and I don't want to give any spoilers for that but he's dealing with that. He has a nonprofit to work with young boys with rugby and like all sorts of things And so he is trying to get that off the ground to be his main job so he doesn't have to be a security guard anymore. So through a series of events, uh, he asks Danny to fake date him to help promote his uh, nonprofit. And she says, yes, it's for a good cause. Yeah, (laughs) for the children. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And so that kind of starts their, their love journey. And the first book deals with a the first sister, Chloe Brown, dealing with disabling chronic illness. And this book deals with a love interest that has anxiety. And then the third book deals with two characters who are neurodivergent and fall in love. So she looks at a wide range of disability. um, And I really appreciate that because that's not something that I see in romances. And Mm -mm. maybe unintentionally, it can send the message that people who struggle with different kinds of a disability uh, might uh, not be worthy of love. And she pushes back against that with these books. Mm -hmm. And you have a a man, a hyper-masculine rugby playing man with anxiety who reads romance novels. Like, yeah, what's not to love? (laughs) I feel like, I feel like, please point me to another book uh, that has that because I guarantee you, you probably can't. So (laughs) it's probably, it's why you need to pick this one up. (laughs) I mean, aside from the bromance book club where that's like the entire point of the series. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But other than that, there's not, there is not many. And so I really love that about this book. And I loved, you know, the fact that Danny's bisexual and it's never a big deal, you know, that she's bisexual. Yeah, she's just like, this is what it is. (laughs) And uh, we talked about this last time, but Danny is really um, not the greatest partner um, in her relationships. And so she is the one that needs to work on herself and to understand how she can be a better partner to Zaf and really come to terms with the errors that she made in her past relationships. Yeah. she And she's the first one to tell you like, hey, I don't do relationships because I'm not good at them. And Zaf kind of points out like, okay, but like, 
you you can if you work on some things on XYZ, you know, things of being with someone else, um, you can easily find someone who can be compatible with you um, if you just kind of identify what works for you in a relationship versus what doesn't. I think she very much has in her mind the quote unquote, true definition of a romantic relationship. Um, and he points out that that cookie cookie cutter description of a relationship doesn't have to work for you or whoever is your partner. Um, which I think is important to understand because we're all different people, right? Yeah. And one of the things that you mentioned, Sachi, when we were prepping for this is the swap gender roles in the relationship in a lot of ways. Like, you know, Danny is more dominant, he's more sensitive, he has anxiety, she's the more career-driven person. And I really appreciated that about this book too. Yeah, I, I feel like the things that usually the female lead and romances are kind of struggling with their male lead partner um, to kind of maybe even sometimes pull teeth to show emotion or, um, you know, commit to the relationship or things like that um, is flipped in this book, which I thought was really awesome and a great way to be more reflective of actual relationships. Um, And I think that it was something that I kind of related to as well, because even in my relationship with my um, spouse, you know, I am the more career driven one. I feel like I am kind of the more quote unquote dominant person who has to address her feelings more (laughs) than my husband does, who is more in tuned with his emotions. And so I saw myself in Danny and you know, I wasn't always the best at relationships and that was a learning curve. Um, because you know, I, uh, sometimes compromise is a little bit difficult for me when I was younger. (laughs) So, so, um, I found a very patient and understanding partner who got me to really talk more about my feelings and how I'm contributing to a relationship and what worked and what didn't work for us. And, I really aligned with Danny and Zaph on their experience throughout this book in my personal life. And I feel like I hadn't really got that before um, in a romance or even in just general contemporary books that have kind of romantic elements or or, uh, subplots to them. And I really appreciate that um, Talia Hibbert highlighted that difference because that is something that real people experience that isn't normally represented on the page. Yeah. And how men are, you know, nurturing as well. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. Zaf has his family that he's taking care of and his niece is just so fun. I love her so much. Um, (laughs) She's wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) So Zaf's family is Muslim. He is no longer Mm -hmm. a practicing Muslim, uh, but he still is very much part of his family and joins in their celebrations and, and faith mm-hmm. and respects that. And so uh, he has, the, you know, these conversations with his family and they just want to see him happy. But mm-hmm. he loves his family and, and tries to care for them. And that's something that he kind of goes on a journey of them not maybe not needing as much care and him having mm-hmm. to let go in that way. And... It was just really great. And also his niece is just so sassy and amazing. (laughs) I was like, I want to be her. She sounds so cool. (laughs) Definitely. Uh, Yeah. I I loved his family. Honestly, I 
um, in my own like personal book notes to prepare for this episode, I said, I want more of Zaf's family. <laughs> I feel like I, uh, really loved, uh, the characters and a lot of them are just like a strong set of women. You know, I feel like so many storylines, um, you know, don't, they're not like, uh, patriarchal or sorry, they're, they focus on patriarchal families and not ones that are centered around, um, a matriarch. And I feel like these incredibly strong women, uh, that, you know, speak their own mind and they tell Zaf, Hey, you know, like we can take care of ourselves. <laughs> like you need to enjoy your life. I think was really awesome. And I wanted to, to see more of them. And even some with, uh, Danny's sisters, like we, I feel like in the first book, they featured kind of Danny and Eve a little bit more, um, and how they supported Chloe. And, and I was like, I want to see more of them in this book. Like they're in it, you know, it there, it's not like they're excluded from the book or anything, but, um, while I love the two, um, Danny and Zaf together, even the characters around them are so kind of fully realized and flushed out. And I was like, I want a book about all of these. And maybe, you know, you know, in the romance series, they do intertwine. So I was like, maybe Zaf's family will be the, after the Browns are done, maybe we could talk with the, talk more about some of the, the women in this book that I loved on that side. Um, because I feel like the families support each one of, um, you know, the folks in the couple, Danny and Zaf, they, they support them in different ways because they're so, you know, different people, obviously. I liked seeing that dynamic of how Zaf's family really rallies and supports him versus how Danny and her family members support her. Um, because a lot of the times when you enter into a relationship, you're also entering into a relationship with that person's family. And the way that that family, those family members support the person that you love can be really helpful to understanding how you support that person. And I really loved the kind of supporting characters in this book and wanted to see even more of them. <laughs> I, I love seeing the wide range of women in this book in different families. Cause you, like you mentioned, you have Danny and her family and Zaf and his family. And with Danny, her, with her being such a strong, um, type A woman, it's also important to note that she is, you know, soft and vulnerable in this book as well. And that Tally Hibbert makes that uh, dynamic work in such a, a great way of how Danny learns to embrace that part of herself, that she doesn't have to just be this, you know, strong yeah. black woman. She can also be soft and vulnerable and in tune with her emotions and, and there's space for all of these complexities of her as a character. She's not just one thing. And that's something that I think mm -hmm. Talia Hibbert does so well with all of yeah. her characters. Um, like in the first book, Chloe has to accept that, you know, she can't do everything that she's holding herself to a non-disabled mm -hmm. ideal. And she shouldn't, she shouldn't do that. She's mm -hmm. allowed to have, um, what society might view as weakness. It's not weakness. It's just herself and her disability and, you know, mm -hmm. coping with that. And so I really appreciate that Talia Hibbert's heroines are all very complex and wonderful in all sorts of different ways. Absolutely. And I think too, like, I feel like she really tackles as well, like this culture that we have of overworking yourself. And, um, mm -hmm. I feel like I've seen it in the corporate world. You know, my sister is also getting her PhD and I've seen, you know, how overworked she can be. And she talks about how that's kind of within her, her, um, 
kind of cohort that is the expectation sometimes is that you have to do, you know, this, these mass amounts of, of work that feel kind of like you're working around the clock. And I think that's something that Danny kind of grapples with as how do I be career focused and focused on, you know, um, my academic studies and research and things like that while also balancing self-care, because I think it's really easy to kind of fall into this culture of, I need to be working all the time and showing that I'm never going to take a break and I'm just going to be so devoted to my career and all of, um, this work that I'm doing, um, that self-care can just kind of be pushed to the back runner. And that can be really detrimental for people. Um, you know, if you go so long without taking care of yourself, whether that's getting enough sleep or exercising or, um, eating healthy or meditating or anything like that, your body will shut down and it'll affect the relationships of those um, around you and it's not sustainable. And I think that is really tackled in this book, um, which I thought was very helpful. Um, you know, 2020 was a year where I was working a lot and I didn't always take care of myself like I should have. And I, you know, noticed visible changes into, um, you know, how I, I looked and how I felt and, and how I, you know, just felt tired all the time. And I'm sure most of us can relate to that of falling down that path of, you know, burning yourself out and, um, taking that time for self-care and prioritizing that is just as important as the work that you're doing. And that is kind of fully realized in this novel as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's, I have like two new year's resolutions and one of them is better work-life balance, Kendra, in 2021. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. I a hundred percent agree with that. And I feel like, you know, it's kind of funny, like whenever we, you know, at least in my job where I do have the extreme fortune of working a hundred percent from home, I had thought, you know, a lot of folks beforehand, uh, before this pandemic were thinking, yeah, if you're working from home, are you really working? You know, <laughs> no one's there to see if you're actually putting in your hours and maybe you're just, you're, you're online, but you're all watching television or whatever. And like, now that I'm working hundred percent from home, I'm actually, I feel like working much more than I did when I was in the office because there's less of that separation between being at home and working. And I feel like when I, you know, I'm not surrounded by a lot of distractions in the office or people stopping by, um, uh, asking for different requests or, or I get hung up in the hallway with someone, uh, and talking for 20 minutes, I feel like, um, it is a little more isolating, which can be dangerous because I just say, okay, all that time that I was able to like put breaks in for levity and, um, to walk around and things like that, that I had in the office that goes away. And it, I'm working, I feel like more than ever, it's great from a productivity standpoint, but it's also like, I have to be more cognizant of stepping away from my desk and taking a walk or taking a break and, you know, leaving my little room that I'm in every day working from home. And it's, especially in this pandemic for those of us, you know, it, it is beneficial from a quarantining perspective to, um, not be out and about in the world and that you're staying at home, but it's also really kind of dangerous from this perspective of, um, overworking yourself and not taking time for that balance. So I think that's something that a lot of us could probably work on, um, at least in the environment that we're looking at right now. Definitely. I co-sign. <laughs> and, and with this book, she, you know, looks specifically how that directly relates to her relationships, not just with, 
like Zaf, but also her sisters and yeah. her coworkers. And, you know, when I was reading it, I also thought about Tressie McMillan Cottom's essays about being a black woman in academia. Mm-hmm. Um, and that a lot of that relates to this as well. So totally. I, I feel like, you know, a lot of the romance books that we have featured on this podcast do this as well, is that romance novels carry a lot of heft with them. Oh, yeah. And it, you just have to look at books like this to mm-hmm. realize that. And so um, if you don't know exactly what we're talking about, check out <laughs> either of these books and you'll see that they both, well, they deal with love. They also deal with a lot of um, different hefty issues. And so there's a lot of great content and discussion in them as well. Absolutely. So that is Take a Hint, Danny Brown by Talia Hibbert. And that is the second book in the Brown Sisters series. Would recommend all of them. (laughs) Yeah. So those are our discussion picks for February. Yay. So where can people find you about the internet, Sachi? Uh, People can find me mainly on Instagram at Sachi Reads. And I'm also mainly on Instagram at KD Winchester. And of course, our socials will be linked in the description. And that's our show. Many thanks to our patrons whose support makes this podcast possible. This episode was produced and edited by me, Kendra Winchester, with music by Mickey Saito with Isaac Green. Join us next time when Kendra, Jacqueline, and some special guests will be recommending books by trans women for March's theme. In the meantime, you can find Reading Women on Instagram and Twitter at The Reading Women. Thanks for listening.